President Barack Obama once said, "It's because of giants like Willie Mays that someone like me could even think about running for president." It's an exciting day for baseball fans of all ages on sliders and curveballs. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is co-author with Hall of Fame baseball legend Willie Mays of the New York Times bestseller 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. Welcome to our family sports podcast from the San Francisco Chronicle, John Shay. Hi, John. Welcome to Sliders and Curveballs. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, John. Hi. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for having me aboard today. You're welcome. We're excited to have you. I know that you've been at Oracle Park all week covering the San Francisco Giants. Is California uh, readying and hopeful for their 60-game schedules to begin shortly? Well, they're hopeful, as am I, but it still might be a long shot. It's a lot of obstacles to overcome, but baseball is in the air. It's a little unusual that no fans are allowed, but that's for the better. And whether they start, who knows, but I guess it's good to have them hanging out at the ballpark and hitting and running and throwing and all those other things they do. Absolutely. It must be exciting to uh, to see them on the field again, but it's definitely a very unique time. You've been, I was telling Joseph that you've been covering baseball for four decades. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into a, a sports career. Well, uh, you know, as you, I'm sure, Joseph, play ball. Everybody plays ball as a kid, right? And that just grew to uh, a life and career of writing about playing ball. Back in college, I joined a school newspaper and loved every part of it and moved on to, after graduation, some small papers and then bigger papers and then started covering the San Diego Padres in the mid-1980s and they went to the World Series in 1984 and lost to the Detroit Tigers. But I covered Tony Gwynn at the time, just my favorite person to cover. I went to school with him in San Diego. I covered him in basketball. He was a wonderful basketball player. And I covered him in baseball. And then he went on to become a superstar and Hall of Famer. And I just not only adored what he did on the field, but uh, just his presence uh, and leadership and inspiration off the field. And one of the best interviews I've ever had, he was always available and he was always willing and just a great person to get quotes from. So that led to my move from San Diego to San Francisco Bay Area in 1988. And I've been covering the Giants and the A's ever since. So there are a lot of good ball players, a lot of good teams. And it's been an honor to be able to cover the great game. Definitely. Uh, Gwen was an exciting, exciting player, one of the best uh, pure hitters that I've ever seen. So you must have a lot of great memories. Well, there was one time in college on a Thursday night, he set the San Diego State basketball record for assists. And then two days later, he had game-winning RBIs on both ends of a doubleheader. So it just showed you how good he was. 
as an all-around athlete, and I really enjoyed watching him play basketball. There wasn't anybody quicker free throw line to free throw line back then, and he just had a wonderful game, a point guard on a pretty good basketball team. His teammate was Michael Cage, who played many years in the NBA in Portland and Seattle. But then he became a, a big leaguer and one of the best hitters of all time. 3,000 hits. Uh, he had he had a wonderful journey. It was an honor to, to cover the man and to know the man as well as I did. I will definitely have to show Joseph some uh, YouTube videos of, of Gwen. He was uh, definitely one of the greatest of all time. Um, thank you for sharing. Your book, which we have on order, is full of incredible stories and photography. Can you tell us a little bit about 24 and the process of working directly with Willie Mays to create it? For sure. Willie played for the Giants, the New York Giants, the San Francisco Giants, and finished up with the New York Mets. And before all that, he played with the great and legendary Birmingham Black Barons in the Negro Leagues. So it's been a wonderful life, legendary life, exemplary life. And it was a privilege to work with him over the past many years. In fact, it was 15 years ago I asked him, about a book project. And the first thing he said was, I'd like to see this book in classrooms. So obviously it was a book geared toward kids, but also really any generation, those who saw him play, all the familiar names and and new stories and old stories, those who missed seeing him play, but would have loved to and read about him, uh, learned about him. This book is different than any other Willie Mays book in that It is all fresh material. It's not recycled storytelling that has been in other books. So it's new and exclusive and fresh. And like you mentioned, the photography, there's 90 plus photographs. And I think the biggest Willie Mays fan out there wouldn't recognize 95% of them. So it's not just new storytelling within the confines of the book, but all rare photography that helps tell the stories along the way. And the stories are broken down into 24 chapters, and that's obviously the name of the book, 24. That was his iconic number. And many great players have followed Willie Mays and worn that number. Ricky Henderson, uh, another person I wrote a book with, uh, <laughs> honored on a couple of occasions to write about a Hall of Famers, but he wore 24. And then Ken Griffey Jr. wore 24 because of Ricky. And Tony Perez, the great first baseman from the Big Red Machine, wore 24 and uh, talked about how it, it was great to have Willie's number. Anyway, there, there are a lot of people. It, it, it's a big-time number. Uh, Kobe Bryant, Rick Barry, a couple of NBA legends uh, wore 24. So the process was wonderful, and Willie was engaged throughout. I think we did the math, and we spent more than 100 hours together on the project, and I interviewed more than 200 people for the book. So it's really a life lived. It's uh, in retrospect, uh, the stories from yesteryear, uh, the stories of today. And all these fellas who played the game, it's amazing recall. They remember this stuff like it was yesterday. That's fantastic. I'm sure that you had uh, just an amazing journey with him. And there's so many great stories. We can't wait to dig into it. Joseph's going to fire off a couple questions for you. Mm -hmm. So how did Willie Mays get his nickname? The Say Hey Kid. You know, Willie loves kids. The book is filled with stories about Willie's affection for kids. And his nickname says it all, the Say Hey Kid. He's 
he's still that today, a kid at heart who loves life, loves the game, loves children. His Say Hey Foundation is dedicated to helping underprivileged kids, which he once was. But when he first broke in, yeah, you got to remember that Willie Mays, just a year removed from high school graduation, was the starting center fielder for the New York Giants at the Polo Grounds. And he didn't know everybody at first. He was called up in late May of 1951. Uh, he breezed through the minor leagues. Um, he played in the Negro Leagues through high school. So he didn't really know all his teammates right away. So instead of calling them by name, Eddie Stanky or Alvin Dark or Monty Irvin, he would always say, hey, that was his thing. Hey, you know, and then let me go over here. What are you doing? What's shaking? That kind of thing. And a sports writer actually heard him say this over and over and then coined the term the say hey kid. And that stuck. Uh, Willie loves the nickname. In fact, he's got shirts and shoes that say, say hey on them. It's pretty cool. A lot of people don't like their nicknames, but Willie Mays loves his nickname. Yeah, I like it too. It's funny. Okay, so here's another question I got for um, you. I've watched some great YouTube videos. Can you describe what made Mr. Mays so special on and off the field? Well, it's a great question, Joseph. Um he was not only the greatest all-around player who ever lived, he was the greatest showman. He was the greatest entertainer. He made what they call basket catches. Uh, you were taught, Joseph, to catch the ball above your head with your glove high and see the ball come into the glove with your bare hand supporting the glove. That's the way every coach and dad and mom tells you to catch a ball. Well, Willie wanted to be different. He was so good, he could kind of ad lib. And he told me in the book, he tried to make the easy plays look hard and the hard plays look easy. So he created this form of catching the ball called the basket catch in which he would hold the glove down about waist level with his palms up and he would catch it like he was holding a basket and thus the basket catch. So it's a dangerous, difficult way to catch a ball, but he mastered it. He said he only dropped two over 10 years and somebody looked it up and indeed it was two over 10 years. And he has more putouts than anybody in the history of, of the game who played the outfield. So he knew what he was doing out there. He won gold gloves 12 different years. And many of those years, they didn't even have the gold glove yet. He could have or should have won a lot more. But he was an entertainer, and his cap fell off. And when he ran the bases, he ran so fast, the cap would just fall off. And people love to watch him play, not only hit. You know, we think of players today, well, you love to see him hit. Well, people love to see him play defense. They love to, to watch him. Every time the ball went up in the outfield, People oohed and odd say, what's Willie going to do now? He was an entertainer, and he loved to entertain. Why? Because he wanted you to come back tomorrow. He wanted you to enjoy the show and see something you might not have ever seen before. Through it all, he did it mostly for the kids. He loved being around kids, loved signing autographs for kids. And, you know, to this day, that's the, the story holds. That's incredible. We uh, we just watched a little a YouTube video with Bob Costas, who wrote the foreword to the book, and Willie's hat was flying off as he was running around the base and the basket catches uh he's totally well known for it but you're right i would every single time we're out in the yard i'm always telling joe keep your hands up keep your hands up and <laughs> and add on some insurance with the other hand 
and Willie says, do not try the basket catch at home because you'll probably get hurt. It'll hit your head and you'll blame me. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Over 3,000 hits, 24 all-star appearances, 660 home runs, and like you said, 12 gold gloves, and inducted into the Hall of Fame when I was Joseph Age uh, in 1979, right around when I was eight years old. What are some of your favorite Willie Mays baseball memories that, that you recall covering or seeing? Well, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so I caught the end of his career, late 60s, early 70s. So he was probably mid to late 30s at the time. And obviously everybody thought he was the best because he was, but it was wonderful growing up here because you were treated to Willie Mays highlights, uh, Willie Mays stories. And I never dreamed I would ever be able to sit at his house and talk to him about writing a book. Uh, we're co-authors and I pinch myself every day. But obviously there, there are a lot of stories in the book. And, you know, I, I tell you one story about the catch, the famous catch he made in 1954. You'd like to hear that, Joseph? Yes. This is before I was born, by the way. It was 1954, uh, the World Series, and Willie Mays made the ma most famous catch in baseball history. And uh, you remember I said he played at the Polo Grounds, and that place had so much room in center field that no stadium is like it today. Uh, it, it, it went out to 483 feet. Uh, imagine that. Uh, ballparks today might go out to about 400. But anyway, it was the first game in the World Series, and Willie's New York Giants were playing the mighty Cleveland Indians, and it was the eighth inning, and the score was tied. And the Indians had a couple of runners on base. Uh, a fellow named Vic Wirtz hit a ball so far that it would be a home run in any of the ballparks you see around now. But at the Polo Grounds, which was perfect for Willie because he could run around forever. It wasn't a home run. Willie was playing shallow because he wanted a chance to throw out the great Larry Doby at the plate. Larry Doby was out second, you know, if Vic Wirtz singled. But Wirtz hits this long fly ball, maybe 450, 460 feet, and Willie amazingly runs it down and catches it. And not only that, but in one motion, he turns and throws a strike to second base to prevent anyone from scoring. And the Giants get out of the inning, they win the game, and they sweep the Indians. And it was Willie's catch, the most famous in history, that set the momentum for the Giants winning the World Series back in 1954. But uh, that's a good story, right? But but there's there's a lot more to the story. And that's that's about the glove Willie used to make that catch. And remember I was telling you about the basket catch? This was kind of a different form of the basket catch. His back was to the plate. He was running full speed, dead center field, and he reached over his shoulder, palms up, and made that catch, kind of a semi-basket catch, but on the run, nothing routine about it. But, uh, you know, Willie was very generous about giving his stuff away and his bats and his gloves really anything he owned so the following year in 1955 when the giants were on this team flight to st louis willie had a teammate don little now he's the pitcher who threw the ball that vic wirtz hit to willie out there in center field so little was sitting with his young son probably about your age his name was craig and willie overheard craig talking to his dad about wanting to play little league the next year but needing a glove 
So the next day in the clubhouse, Willie gave young Craig his own glove. And it happened to be the same glove he made the famous catch with. And Willie thought it was important. You know, the kid had a glove, so he gave it to him. But anyway, that glove is now on display at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Because when Craig got older, he wanted to make sure people could see it and loaned it to the Hall of Fame. So that explains... Willie Mays in a in a lot of ways. Number one, he loves kids. Number two, if a kid needed a glove, Willie was open to giving him one of his own, even if it meant giving him the one he used for the most famous catch in baseball history. Unbelievable. That's incredible. I was looking up the catch because I wanted to try to show Joe what it looked like on the field. And you, you I also bumped into a couple of alternate catches one that happened at Forbes field where I guess he was running and didn't use his glove at all. Do you recall something like that? I don't know if there's any actual videos of it. There's not any video of that, but a fella named Rocky Nelson hit a ball played for the Pittsburgh pirates Forbes field and Willie Mays goes out there and the last moment, a gust of wind blew it a different direction. So while he tracked it down nicely, the ball kind of swerved a different way. So he reached up with his bare hand over his head behind his shoulder out there in left center, made the catch barehanded <laughs> on the run. And some great people, you know, well-known people from Joe Garagiola to Branch Rickey, these people said it was the greatest catch they had ever seen. But Willie made a bunch of catches, and he thinks that famous catch in the 54 series isn't even his top catch uh, of his career. I mean, that just goes to show you how good he was. Uh, he thinks the best catch he ever made was at Ebbets Field, and Brooklyn Dodger named Bobby Morgan, a third baseman, hits a ball into the gap in left center, just a sizzling line drive that is destined for a bases clearing double, maybe triple. But out of nowhere, the great Maze dives backhanded, makes the catch, slides along the warning track, hits his head along the uh, the concrete wall at Ebbets Field, and gets knocked out. But it stunts the rally. The Giants win the game. Willie tells me in the book, he says, when I came to, there were two people there. There was Jackie Robinson to make sure I caught the ball. He played for the Dodgers. And Leo DeRocher, his manager, to see if he was okay. You know, he robbed Ted Williams of a home run in the 55 All-Star game. He made he made a great catch when I was a kid of Bobby Tolan. Bobby Tolan played for the Cincinnati Reds. It was 1970, and it was Candlestick Park. There was a play out in right center. Bobby Tolan hit a ball to right center to the Cyclone fence. And Bobby Bonds, who's the father of Barry Bonds, a great giant in the 60s and 70s, he started running to it, and Mays started running to it, and they collided, but Mays, so athletic, jumped over Bobby Bonds, made the catch, and they fell down, tangled up. But he made this spectacular catch, and that is, besides this great catch in 54, one you can see on YouTube. Call up Bobby Tolan. Willie Mays catch 1970 and you'll see that spectacular play we definitely are going to look at a few more they're so exciting to see he was such a playmaker and he just made everything look routine well <laughs> not everything because like I said he made the easy ones look difficult and the difficult ones look easy and that was part of his stick the reason he liked to entertain um but yeah, he you know he he was he was a leader out there, a captain. He was the first African American 
captain in baseball history in the early 60s. Alvin Dark appointed him. And he didn't take that lightly. He was very proud of the title. But you know what? He was a captain unofficially anyway. He was like an on-field manager, a guy that the shortstop and second baseman looked to to find out where to play. The guy that the pitcher talked with before games to see how to pitch certain guys. And Willie would huddle with people uh, behind the dugout or in the clubhouse or uh, in, in private and tell them basically about the game, about life. Those are, you know, those are part of the lessons he shares in this book. Uh, and, there, and there are plenty of them. That's great. Here's another one from Joseph here. How did Willie get into baseball? And do you know if he played any other sport growing up? Well, imagine this, Joseph. Baseball was Willie's third best sport as a kid growing up. And that included... famous, but he, it was his third favorite sport. His third favorite, favorite sport. So what was first? He was a wonderful quarterback on his high school football team. He could throw the ball a country mile. And there's some legendary stories about just that. And he was a shooting guard on the basketball team at high school. He, it was uh, in Fairfield, Alabama, in an African-American neighborhood, African-American school, uh, this was a, a time and place that Bur- nearby Birmingham was the most segregated city in the country, and Dr. Martin Luther King said as much. So Willie, as a young boy, learned a lot about the inequality and injustice uh, that he was facing and was going to continue to face, and he really dedicated his life to fighting racism and on his terms and you know there are several anecdotes and stories and uh words shared by willie that go into detail in the book but uh baseball was number three now his high school baseball team actually his high school didn't even have a baseball team um the high school kids would play you know regional games against other areas and schools and and communities but they only had football and basketball, so Willie played those. It didn't matter to Willie. Why? Because he played with the Birmingham Black Bears, a professional Negro League team that was right near his hometown. And he was a wonderful player, a teenager in center field who was playing with grown men in their 20s and 30s and did some traveling in the summer. And sometimes he missed school to go out on the road with this great team, but he would come home and his high school teachers would have him explain uh, about geography, uh, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, great monuments in different cities, uh, you know, how it was hanging out in buses with these legendary Negro League ballplayers. So, and Willie came back and learned about life playing in the Negro Leagues, and he took it to school and was kind of like, as he says, uh, uh, an assistant teacher who explained to his classmates, you know, life beyond the Birmingham area. So back then, the opportunities for uh, a black quarterback uh, aren't what they are now, unfortunately, and it was a shame. So he didn't get the same opportunities to play professional football as he would have in baseball, and the same with basketball. And it wasn't like he was real tall. He was only 5'10", 5'11", so he wasn't maybe destined for a professional basketball career. But baseball was it, and his father, Willie Howard May Sr., encouraged him to play baseball, never forced him, never pushed him, 
but introduced him to the game. And Willie loved all the sports. And like I said, he didn't have opportunities to go be a quarterback as, as a young black quarterback and also didn't have opportunities to go to college. So professional baseball was the answer. And the Giants signed him right out of high school. And a year later, he's the starting center fielder for the New York Giants. Look at that. He had such a great combination of speed and power. What do you think made him such a great hitter over the years? You know, I asked him, and we talk about the five tools in baseball. What are they? They're hitting. They're hitting for power, fielding, throwing, and base running. And Willie Mays excelled in all of them. And you couldn't really say what was better than the other because they were all off the charts. And I asked him, I said, what were you most proud of, of the five tools? And he said, defense. And this is a man who had 660 home runs, 3,000 hits, just a wonderful offensive producer. And he said he was most proud of his defense because offense can come and go. You could hit the ball on the screws and it could be caught. But defense never goes away. It, you, you don't slump on defense. And, and defense, he said, could turn games around. And you had to be good every day. Uh, you might go over four at the plate and hit the ball hard four times. But that's not going to happen. If you have a good defensive game, you could make a difference, especially as a center fielder. There's also something called the sixth tool that he's also proud of. And that's the mental game. You know, the uh, envisioning and anticipating and imagine what's going to happen next. And that's what Willie was also great at. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to some of our young listeners and little leaguers and their dads getting a feel for Willie's career. I know that he handled a lot of tough situations in his life with uh, grace and leadership. Are there a few that you can point out to the young listeners that are a life lesson that stands out to you that um, kids growing up today can keep in mind? Well, sure. Let's look at the last chapter. The final chapter is is uh, is a fan tribute. It's really a tribute to kids. And Willie starts off every chapter with a lesson. And his lesson to begin the final chapter, this. Praise kids when they do the right thing and lead by example. You do the right thing, they'll do the right thing. That's pretty heavy stuff. And there's a great story in that chapter, the final chapter, about Willie playing stickball with the kids in Harlem early in his career with the New York Giants. And he lived in an apartment a short walk from the polo grounds, and kids would knock on his window early in the morning to ask him to come out and play. And, you know, Willie came out and played in stickball in the street. Stickball is a game in which the batter holds a bat. It's like a broomstick, and the pitcher might bounce the ball to the batter. And the batter, you know, you're playing on the streets. Envision that. So, the batter needed to hit the ball straight up the street, you know, nothing foul, nothing left or right into the, into the front yards. And, and there was Willie Mays in street clothes before playing that day at the polo grounds, taking some hacks with the kids in Harlem. I mean, it's legendary stuff, and it kind of helps define his life and character. And then afterward, Willie would take the kids to the corner store for ice cream, then head off to the game. But, uh, yeah, every every chapter has, has a different different theme, and with it, a, a, a different life lesson, uh, you know, from the words of, of Willie Mays. So it's it goes along with the inspirational theme throughout the book. 
it must have been a real thr- thrill to sit down with him and take him through all his great memories and then just uh, be able to relive some of the experiences from the polo grounds all the way to, to Candlestick. Um, just the thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, you mentioned the polo grounds. I could I could tell you a, a story about, a, you know, since the theme here is, is kids and children, tell you a story of a young boy named Peter who was nine years old and 1951 and that was Willie's rookie season and Peter's dad took him out to the polo grounds one day and that was Peter's first look at Willie Mays and they got out there early to see the team work out and young Peter was amazed that Willie was out there in center field taking fly ball after fly ball and each time he caught the ball he threw a perfect strike a one bounce strike to third base and Alvin Dark was was at the bag simply holding up his glove and Willie would just throw it right into the glove and about 20 straight times. And Peter said later, it was like the equivalent of a kid today watching Steph Curry hit 20 straight three-pointers before a game. But anyway, Peter grew up and wound up being a business guy and comes from a wealthy family. And, you know, he orchestrated a group of San Francisco leaders to purchase the Giants in December of 1992. His name was Peter McGowan. And this was big news in the Bay Area at the time. And because the Giants were being sold to a group in Florida and the team was going to relocate. And Peter McGowan and this group bought the team and kept it in San Francisco. So in a roundabout way, (laughs) Willie Mays helped save the Giants for San Francisco because he was the one who inspired that young Peter McGowan as a young boy to love baseball and love the Giants. And McGowan turned out to be the leader of this group who bought the team and kept them in town. Wow, what a, what a story. Uh, and we want to thank you so much for inspiring us today and inspiring Joseph. He went to his first NBA game in February just before the pandemic, and it was to see Stephen Curry. Now, he was hmm. hurt. He didn't play, although he made the trip to Boston where we where we were, and we, we got to watch him for 15 minutes um, with all of his shots that he takes in his pregame. And so it was such a thrill and so exciting today to hear about um, Willie Mays and his incredible career, uh, both in baseball and outside of baseball. It's just um, a memory of a lifetime for you to be able to share some time with us. It is a memory of a lifetime and the project of a lifetime as well. Uh, It's just uh, amazing. I was able to put the ball on the tee for Willie and, get out of his way and let him tell the stories and uh, allow me the access and the privilege to actually write down these stories from not only Mays, but all these great Negro League teammates that I spoke with and childhood buddies and and Hall of Famers and so many people in and out of the game, entertainers, musicians, artists. They all have Willie Mays stories. So it was a wonderful experience to uh, put this book together with Willie. Well, we want to thank both you and Willie Mays for creating it. I look forward to reading it to Joseph before bed, and we can discuss different chapters and things like that. Joseph's an outfielder as well, so he's learning to get the ball in quick. And uh, I think that uh, hopefully Willie will enjoy the podcast, and we really appreciate you taking time out of what's now become a really busy and interesting baseball schedule to spend some time with uh, uh, dad and, and his young uh, son. Actually, I play um, third in a shortstop, and the uh, Stephen Curry game was um, well, the first month of the year. I forgot what the month was called, but I noticed that it was the 28th, and then February 1st, the biggest rival, the Philadelphia 76ers. 
that's wonderful stuff. You know, Willie Mays played shortstop as a kid and he was a pitcher. He was a catcher. He did it all. But his dad always told him, I said, you know what? Uh, you don't want to be a pitcher. You don't want to be a catcher. You got to play every day. You don't want to get hurt. So he became a shortstop and eventually a center fielder, and uh, luckily for all of us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John, for spending some time with us on Sliders and Curveballs, and we appreciate you uh, connecting with the younger generation, and I look forward to reading some of your articles in the future as the baseball season unfolds. We wish you, we wish you luck out in California. My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Joseph. Bye. Stay safe. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.